Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Hal Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a forward by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMell, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brian LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And we are joined today by a brand new guest host. He is the author of The Pale White, amongst many other novels, and the host of the Paleo Cheese podcast, Chad Lutsky. Say hi, Chad. Uh, hi, ho And today we're talking to the author of Midnight Rain, The Wicked, and his latest release through Silver Shamrock, Ride or Die, James Newman. Say hi, James. What's up, guys? Now, before we dive into the very first question, I just got to say I'm a little envious of you three. You guys are in a club that I want to be in. Um, McKinley will probably listen to this, but you're in the Silver Shamrock Club. And that is pretty – Wormwood, uh, pretty stellar book. You and Tim. Thank you. James has a few, and uh, Brennan's upcoming Slattery Falls. So that's, uh, that's an exciting group of people we got on today. Uh, James, what got you into horror? What got me into horror? Well, people are probably sick of hearing me tell this story because I tell it in just about every interview, but I love it. So you'll have to hear it one more time. Um, Sorry for the train in the background. I don't know how loud that is. I was just going to say, uh, I didn't want to cut you off, but you're the first guest to ever have a train in the background. And that's okay. I'm not cutting that out. Yeah. So um, when I was uh, all of four years old, my dad, uh, God rest his soul, he passed back in April. He, uh, took me to see the incredible melting man i have no idea why he chose to take four-year-old to see that (laughs) but uh mom and dad were always really cool about stuff like that uh when i was five they took me to the drive-in with uh, my little sister and i to see 
Carpenter's Halloween. Um, I can remember watching a um, can remember watching a um, edited for TV version of The Exorcist when I was maybe ten or eleven with my parents. And then it was actually my mom that told me when I was fifteen or so about this awesome movie she'd watched on late night cable called Reanimator, and I had to see it. Now you know that that's how cool my parents were growing up. They were pretty liberal with what they allowed us to watch. So obviously they had they played a, a large part in um, me liking this stuff. Mom said that ever since I was old enough to hold a pen, that I've liked writing you know little scary stories and illustrating them. So. Uh, a lot of it, it was my parents, believe it or not. It's funny that you mentioned uh, the uh, Incredible Melting Man because that in seeing it at such a young age, because that is, it does, it has some gore in it, man. And I oh, saw, yeah. I think I saw it for the first yeah. time like last year. But in the 70s, yeah. my grandma bought me a, they had a, an official Incredible Melting Man makeup kit that came with all this. Uh, like wax stuff and that you'd melt put on your face and when my mom saw it had the image of the dude on the cover and when my mom saw it um she made my grandma take it back and i couldn't because i was like seven or something like that so that's funny yeah it doesn't happen i will mention i will mention that i've seen it since and it's a piece of crap <laughs> but it holds so you know sentimental value for sure me. oh yeah nostalgic nostalgia yeah because of music yeah I have never seen that, and I'm just looking up pictures. Oh my god, that is gory! That is gory for a four year old man. Holy crap! Yeah. So I'd like to talk. Uh, just jump straight into you working with Mark Steensland. First, you guys work within the scrape. Wasn't that one of the first Silver Shamrock books? I can't remember for sure. Uh, uh, it was. It was the very first. Oh, yeah, okay. We were honored to be the flagship book for them. I'd like to hear more about that because I actually haven't even talked to Ken about this. Um, how did that happen? Um, well, we knew that he was starting up the company and he had asked me if I had anything. Um, I said, as a matter of fact, I got this story that I'm just finishing up with Mark and he said he'd love to see it and it all came together very quickly. Um, so, you know, we were both sort of taking a chance on each other, and um, it worked out. A lot of folks seemed to dig it. I heard it's great. I haven't read it, but I, I heard it's fantastic. Someone recently said that that was their favorite Silver Shamrock book, and I can't remember who that was. It may have been uh, Well Red Beard. Yeah, There's I think it was. I think, I think he said that too. in the review for yeah. uh, the new one. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. very cool. It's up there, and Chad. I think it would be. Uh, I think it would be right up your alley, honestly. Um, that kind of coming of age novella, and it, it it has these you know shocking moments, but it's so heartfelt. I remember you know. Um, I think I had read Boy's Life maybe uh, six months before that book first came out, and the I couldn't miss the comparisons. Um, I, I think there's a reason why, you know, even though when did that start up, like September, October of uh, 2019, people still remember that's the flagship book, except for Patrick. He didn't remember, but that's OK. He doesn't remember. <laughs> what he um, uh, it, it's, a <laughs> it's a special book. And, you know, I, I if that were me, I would be honored to kind of have that kickstart the the entire thing. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about that collaboration process with Mark Steensland. 
Uh, we've had him on. He's kind of given his side of that. He says he loves collaborating because he can work on so many projects at the same time. But, you know, you're no stranger to collaborating either. Uh, tell us a little bit about getting together with him to to write that book. Well, um, yeah, thanks for the kind words, but in the scrape, Brennan. Um, it it's really cool to be able to uh, hitch my cart to the Mark Stainsland horse, so to speak, because he's so prolific and uh, he's he's an inspiration. I think in the time since we started this podcast, he's already written like five screenplays. Um, Jeez, but he's he's great. Yeah, he's he's an idea man, and uh, you know, between in the scrape and the special, we've worked together a couple times now, and. He'll come to me, you know, says, I have this idea. Um, I usually, uh, in the scrape was a lot different from the special because the special, I my I think the first words out of my mouth was, well, you're a sick son of a bitch. But um, if you know anything about that one. But um, he, uh, like I said, he brings the idea to the table and we just, we work so well together. Um, we become great friends over the last decade or so and uh, definitely look forward to working with him again. How does that, uh, how did that process with him differ from um, you, you wrote a book with Mark Allen Gunnels for uh, unnerving? Uh, so yeah, it, it usually just depends from project to project. Um, it was sort of the complete opposite with Gunnels. Um, I had the idea on that one and brought it to him. Didn't really know where to go, you know, from start to finish with it. I just had a basic idea, maybe a list of scenes that I wanted to happen. And then he filled in the blanks. Um, so the two were, were pretty opposite experiences where Mark sort of, you know, took the, the pilot seat on, uh, Mark Steensland, I should specify, <laughs> took the pilot's seat on, uh, in the scrape and the special and Mark Gunnels, I brought the idea to the table and uh, I seem to recall I had, you know, three or four pages written and was kind of stuck, didn't really know exactly how to propel the story forward. And uh, Mark Gunnels is another very prolific writer. If you, if you want to see something get done, bring it to Mark because he knows how to get this, get work done and tell a story. You know, the first published short story i was in was with crystal lake and that was with chad and i'm pretty sure it was with chad and mark for uh, shallow waters volume one when uh joe meinhardt started publishing uh flash fiction anthologies and i didn't know a whole lot of names back then but now i'm like oh i was like with them <laughs> um chad i'd like to hear your kind of uh Kind of your comparison, because you collab with quite a few people yourself. Oh, um, I don't want to steal any thunder here, man. I'm... That's fine. Um, you know, I don't want to. I wanted to talk about James. I didn't want to, you know. But I mean, I, I yeah, I collabed with uh, Terry M. West and Tim Meyer and John Bowden, and they were all very different. Tim, Terry was like a. Um, kind of like the ball back and forth and John Bowden had a short story that was like 3,500 words and uh, we kind of used it as a skeleton and turned it into um, a novella and then um, with Tim we just uh, brainstormed ideas and 
uh, he would write like a chapter or so, and then I would go in and either rewrite it or do revisions. And then we just, instead of going back and forth because our voices are so different. And when I did the thing with Terry, our voice, our voices were, um, I was just, I was so young. I didn't even hardly even have my own voice yet. So I was just, you know, writing. And then, uh, with John, I, I can, I can mimic John really well and vice versa. So, uh, yeah, with Tim, Tim was, uh, but they were all, they're all special. I'm proud of them. Um, yeah. But yeah. Thanks for asking. That's awesome. Um, let's get back to the special. Let's, before we you dive into anything else, can you tell us what that was about? The synopsis of that, that story. Yeah. It's, uh, it's about a guy who, uh, has sex with a box. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, it's essentially a story about addiction and how um, addiction can turn you into something that you're not. And um, you know, so you can take that subtext away from it, or you can look at it as face value at face value. And uh, it's a it's a gory creature feature, erotic horror story in the vein of Richard Lehman. But again, we like uh, Mark and I like to think that there's much more to it than that. That it is about what addiction can do to a person and turn them into something that they're not. And uh, why don't you tell us about kind of like the success of it? I know it's been in a lot of different hands, man. Yeah. Um, so, you no, know, I, I couldn't uh, be happier to say that it was uh, turned into a movie um, by Harrison Smith, a fellow who directed Death House. Um, and he did a great job with it. Uh, Mark and I couldn't be more pleased with the way it turned out. I mean, there's, uh, he captured the, the subtext. He captured the, uh, the thing in the box, you know, I'm definitely not going to get into spoiler territory, but, uh, I really expect, I said in another interview that I really expected to be disappointed when you finally see, you know, the big reveal, the money shot, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, I wasn't in no way, shape, or form. Um, they captured exactly what I saw when we when we wrote that scene, and uh, really pleased with the way it turned out. Um, nice to have your work adapted, anyway. But you know, to to have it adapted and it turn out the way it did, it's something that we're all very proud of. That's great. Does anyone have anything they want to jump in uh, with that, or? I've, I've seen the movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's on. It's on. It's still on Prime, right, James? Yeah, still watching on Prime. Yeah, the special. I gotta check that out. I actually haven't seen that, but I always want to see a guy have sex with a box. So that'd be yeah. well. <laughs> Semi related, but I, I mean, James, you you talked about how you couldn't be happier with uh, you know the fact that it got turned into a, a movie and the end result that they handled you know your and Mark's material well. In in general, what you know when you found out that was happening, what what was your reaction? You know, not not quite as simple as yay, they're making a movie, but <laughs> do you worry they're going to take you know uh, a story that you told in one medium and that it's not going to translate well? Uh, I know a lot of writers feel that way about their work. Um, well, you know, the, the first reaction was just disbelief. Um, that someone had to be messing with me that this was really going to happen. <laughs> uh, but, 
I don't know. I, I really trusted the uh, the director. You know, we we built a good rapport with Bruce, and um, from early on, I could tell that he got the material, and he wanted to, he didn't want to do it uh, in a campy way. He said, "We're going to take this serious." Um, as absurd as the idea is at face value, we're gonna we're gonna play it serious. And um, he sort of described too as what he wanted to do with the tone and the the color palette of the movie. There's there's almost an '80s, you know, neon look to many of the scenes. And we were just like, oh man, you know, if he if he pulls this off, this is gonna be something special. And he really did. So so we weren't really we weren't really worried going into it, um, you know, because. We had had conversations with him up top, you know, and I mean, it, it's like you hear a lot of writers say that have had their work adapted. You, There's a point where you're forced to say, you know, I took the check and I cashed it. That's all I can do. The book, it, it's like Stephen King has said, you know, the book's not ruined. It's there on the shelf. Um, so you have to just say whatever comes of it. Maybe I'll uh, tell friends and family that this became a movie, and maybe I'll never mention it. Um, not that I mentioned this particular book to many, like mom and dad, considering the subject matter. <laughs> didn't hand them a copy of this one. Um, but uh, you just you you hope for the best, and my first experience was was pretty great. That's awesome. And, you know, having a, a team that you say got your material, do you feel like having Mark involved, knowing that side of the business really kind of helped in that regard? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark has been working uh, in Hollywood for years. He, he, ha he networks and knows a lot of people, certainly didn't hurt and uh, helped me understand it a lot more. You know, I got to meet Mark at uh, a film festival where the, the special was uh, screening, and it's the first time we had ever met in person. Um, I was actually in uh, close out near uh, L.A. on business for my day job, and I got to fly in for the weekend because the film festival just happened to be uh, scheduled for that weekend in San Francisco. So just everything, the stars aligned, and I was able to fly up there for the weekend and spend it with Mark and meet him in person, and, you know, it was someone I'd only known on, you know, social media and email for the past 10 years. It was like we'd been friends our whole lives. So, you know, it was cool to have someone who kind of understood the business and sometimes be able to tell me, don't get too excited here. We are dealing with Hollywood, but also, you know, has has a good level head about him and, and also just a great person. James, Speaking James, of, you get, oh, sorry, uh, Mark and I may... Uh, no contracts are signed, so I can't say anything yet. But we may, we may have some more really cool news very soon. Yeah. Nice. Now you you got your feet wet before when you wrote a screenplay that was made into a movie too. In, in yeah, um, yeah. I wrote a uh, screenplay on um, sort of a uh, um, you know a job for hire deal. Uh, there was a local filmmaker who wanted to make a Christian horror film. And he wanted me to write a screenplay, and he had the idea, and I did, and um, turned out really well. It's a little locally shot, totally as indie as it gets project, um, but we had a, a little local premiere, and uh, still pretty proud of that one. It was it was really cool, really cool experience. What's that called? 
Uh, Still Waters. Still Waters. Okay. Can we find that anywhere if someone's interested in looking it up? Uh, it's actually free on YouTube. Okay. Still Waters. Uh, you know what, man? Let's jump into a book that I'm really interested to see. I'm hoping that Chad kind of steers this one because I know he loves it. Uh, Midnight Rain. That is your debut with Leisure. Um, it kind of seems like a big deal. Like That's your debut with one of the biggest publishers at the time. So I'll just start with a base question for that. How how did that come about? Did you get an agent? Um, what was that process like? Because that was, what, 20... Oh, I, was that 2007? 2004, I believe. Yeah, 2000. Yeah, 2004. August 20, 2004. Dorchester yep. Publishing. Yeah, tell us all about that, man. Please. So, uh, no, I've never had an agent. Um, I... Uh, heard that leisure was starting up a mystery slash thriller line and um wasn't really an inside contact i just knew someone who knew this was coming and it hadn't really been announced yet but it was coming within the next few months that they were going to start this thriller line and um so i I was finishing up uh they they were going to be asking for finished books sort of cheated on that one i think i was about halfway through the book and I wrote them, you know, never having a professional sale. I wrote them a pitch and said, Hey, I've got this finished novel that I think would be great for your, uh, mystery slash thriller line coming out. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to see it. Go ahead and send it. And I'm like, Oh shit. (laughs) So, so, uh, I pro I probably wrote faster than I've ever written anything in my life to finish it. And, uh, they accepted it, and, and you know you can imagine my surprise. Back in those days, um, a lot of places, you know, were still not accepting email. I think they took email pitches, but I got the uh, the letter back in via snail mail, and I opened it up, and I you could have knocked me over with a feather. Um, I couldn't believe, you know, leisure, you know, um, and then I sort of shot myself in the foot because ultimately. These days, I don't really care, but back then, I kind of, I wanted to be a horror writer, and they wanted more in that vein from me, and I didn't really have anything. The next novel that I wrote was The Wicked, a big, fat, supernatural horror novel. Um, What's weird is, these days, I've almost come full circle writing, like, more reality-based stuff. Yeah, so... um, I don't know. It's almost like I've come back around to where I am writing that stuff. Although I wouldn't say most of what I write is mystery and thriller. It's just, I haven't written a lot of supernatural stuff lately. That, that pitch that you sent James, I did that same thing, man. And I, where I had like an idea and 2000 words written, sent a pitch, got accepted, that kind of thing. And yeah, I had to, I, and I thought, when I when I did it, I was like, "This is the again. This is this could be a really cool story to tell one day if I can make this happen and and lie my way through this." And I did it. The book got published. But yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's certainly a good problem to have, but it's like you'd better be sure that you can pull it off if you're yeah. gonna, you know, yeah. play that game. Yes. Do you remember around how many words Midnight Rain is? Uh, eighty thousand, I believe. I think. I think. Uh, that that was their minimum, so eighty to eighty-five. So did 
did you say you had like at least half of it done? I, I don't remember yeah. if you threw out a number or. I would probably say I was sixty-five percent there. So oh, okay. More than... And uh, I did see Chad say this a, few, a little while ago that he always recommends this book for coming of age stories. For sure. So, so I'd love to know what is it about this book that you are um, so attracted to. Well, I, I loved the book. Uh, first of all, but it, it actually really has a special place in my heart for many reasons. One being, I'm a huge Boys Life fan, and, and for me, uh, Midnight Rain is is right next to it. You know, it's like if you if you love Boys Life, then there's no reason why you won't love Midnight Rain. And another reason um, is my friend John Bowden had he picked it up at a used bookstore or something. He's like, "Have you ever heard of this book?" I said, "No." He said this is great. You got to read it. And I didn't know James. I hadn't heard of James uh, yet. There was a lot of authors that I hadn't heard of yet at the time. This is like maybe six years, five or six years ago. And I read it and um, really liked it, got halfway through it. Um, and I, I came up with it, an idea for a book that I wanted to write that had nothing to do with the book I was, I do that all the time when I'm watching TV or reading or whatever. And this book triggered something that I would, my first book that I would write. And so as soon as I got done uh, reading that book, um, I wrote my book and then that's how I met James. I sent him a message. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I just praised him for the book. And, and I said, uh, you're, you kind of triggered me into, you know, writing this other thing. And, and then I think I sent James a copy to read so yeah it's uh, several reasons why i love that book but but first and foremost it's a just a freaking great book it is and the 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 pacing is one thing that did it for me i'll tell you i had never read it but when i found out we were going to get james on at the end of june i said i've got to read midnight rain i just keep seeing these great things about it and you know i i, I was thinking probably about a month ago I'm going to start it. I've got other books I've got to read for, you know, closer episodes. And I couldn't put the damn thing down. Yeah. Um, I I think I paced myself a little bit for the first hundred pages. And then I knocked out the other like 250 in an afternoon. Um, and, you know, on more of a, I guess, a personal note, I loved the... Um, the attachment to the bike, you know, that was, I, I think everybody could read a book like this, a, a book like Boy's Life, and they could pick out something that really just reminds them of, uh, of, of their experiences growing up and latch onto it. And all of a sudden you're in the story. Uh, you know, the, there is no, you're latched onto the main character, but it's, you're projecting yourself into it. And, you know, that's to me what the best coming of age does. Thank you. Appreciate that. There's no question there. <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off, Brennan. Um, so kind of along the same vein of what Chad was saying about how he reached out to you and how you inspired a book from him. Um, we've had Ronald Kelly on a few times now. And I mean, you're one of three people he said that got him back into it. That's pretty fucking cool, man. You, Richard Shizmar. And uh, Brian King, I'm really interested to hear your side of the story about, first off, how you got into Ron, and secondly, 
when you first heard that you're one of the reasons he's coming back after a 10-year hiatus, how that made you feel? Oh, dude, that's a great question. So first of all, I have to give you some background to let you know exactly uh, what that means to me to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I grew up reading this guy. Can you imagine? Nope. Uh, <laughs> that's and, awesome. And, and Ron, Ron knows this story. So, you know, it, uh, it, it won't hurt him to hear me say this because it has a happy ending. So let me finish. Um, I'll never forget going into a, a books a million in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They had a horror section. And I would browse it, you know, always looking for something new. And I kept coming across this book called Fear. And every time I would see it, you're like, that looks so cool. It looks so Southern. It looks like something that I would like. And again, Ron knows this story. I actually uh, um, told this story in a foreword I wrote for one of his uh, limited edition collections a few years ago. I kept putting fear back on the shelf because I saw the uh, the person wrapped in a cocoon on the cover, and I was convinced this is just an it ripoff. <laughs> and I kept putting it back. Well, finally, I picked it up, and my God, I you know I I saw the error of my ways. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> and I've I've never turned back since. I mean, I wait, Brandon. Can I'm sorry to cut you off, James. Can you do that one more time? For video people who aren't sure what the cover looks like. There you go. If you if you listen to the show though and watch it on YouTube, you know what the cover looks like. We talk about it at least once a month. <laughs> so um, you know, I grew up reading this guy. And then to hear several years, you know, a, a decade plus later that it was midnight rain that made him decide to start writing again. I can't begin to tell you. I mean, I'm sitting here almost with tears in my eyes thinking about it. It's, it's crazy. And then, on top of that, I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, you know, because we've only started corresponding recently. But uh, a lot of my readers do. Are you, are you guys familiar with the accident that I had uh, about six years ago? I am. I'm not. All right. So um, long story short, my family and I were hiking in the mountains and we had finished for the day. We were sitting at a picnic table and uh, what what they call a widow maker, a big tree branch uh, fell, a dead branch fell and and hit me. And I was put out of commission for six months. Um, It broke uh, several vertebra. It uh, uh, messed up my knee and it totally turned my just to give you a mental, a pretty horrifying mental image, it turned my left arm. I, I remember flopping around on the on the ground screaming when I came to, and it was my arm was turned all the way around. Um, oh. Yeah, it was bad, and I was oh put out of commission for six months. It didn't work. I don't think you could see it in the video. I actually have scar there from the surgery. It's hard to tell. But, uh, so there's this fella who I grew up reading. <laughs> And he had started writing again, supposedly because of, uh, you know, me and a, a couple other great writers. Um, so he starts an auction and he has writers from Chismar to Lansdale to all the way up to a limited edition by King. I think that was uh, actually donated by uh, I believe Cemetery Dance, but I may be wrong on that. 
I mean, dozens and dozens of writers donated books and, um, you know, I'll forever be in their debt. But Ron was the one who spearheaded that and raised several thousand dollars to pay my medical bills. Wow. So there's multiple things going on with Ron Kelly that will always have a halo above his head in my book because the guy is just, again, it'd be awesome anyway. But I grew up reading this guy, and he came back because of me. I mean, that's so humbling, right? And then he did that for me. Uh, the the cool uh, there's a cool ending to that. What's well, not an ending? Uh, the story <laughs> the ending, but um, we were able to thank Ron when he was uh, when his family was traveling through my area a few a, a year or two after this happened, and take his family out and hang out at the house with him and get to hang out with this guy again that I grew up reading. It, it's so like, cool. you can't make this up. So yeah, I can't, I can't throw enough love Ron's way. Never so, I appreciate, I, I, I love that you shared that. Thank you. And I, I think it's so, you know, if, if that didn't tell enough about his character, you know, Patrick and I have talked with him a lot of times. He's told us, you know, firsthand the story about himself getting, you know, back into writing because of Midnight Rain and several other books. And he's never mentioned that. Um, and that's if that's not Ron Kelly, then I don't know what is. <laughs> he's a good guy. I like Ron. And, and I do want to mention, guys, that there were other, many other people who were wonderful, like Pete Kelly, you know, owner of Bloodshot Books. He he put together the Widowmakers anthology, which was kind of funny because A, there's sort of the horror connotation. You know, B, they call those tree branches that have killed people Widowmakers. And C, the Widowmaker was the wrestling name of the character in my book, Ugliest Sin, which if you like Midnight Rain, you should check it out because there's some recurring characters in it that show up. But anyway... Um, you know, Brian Keene was another that promoted the hell out of the, the auction. And like, there were so many people and I know I'm going to forget somebody, but, uh, it really all started with Ron just getting, getting the word out there. And if, if you ever want to feel truly loved and, and understand how people feel about you, uh, have a debilitating accident, have a widow maker fall on <laughs> um, because, it, it made me realize what the horror genre, how, how we come together, and it, it was truly, truly amazing. Wow. I don't really know what to say. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Ron a lot and never even mentioned that. That's pretty cool. Which brings me to my question of Southern hospitality, Southern writers. I've learned over the last two years of so many wonderful Southern writers. I want to hear from you what you see uh, – in the horror genre, crime genre, whatever other genre you have a particular fancy for, what do you see with Southern rep representation? What do you like? Well, I think it, um, obviously, Ron Kelly fan, you know, Mark Allen Gunnels, although his stuff doesn't always have a distinctly Southern flavor to it. Um, you know, Mark, uh, a lot of people will transcend the, the genre, you know, um, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm considered a Southern writer, but I don't think all of my stuff necessarily has that twang. Some of it does. Um, you know, you, you're talking Southern writers. You have to mention Lansdale. <laughs> chat that. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, there are tons out there, and I would rattle off a bigger list, but I'll undoubtedly forget someone. But there's just, there's something inherently dark about the South already from the, uh, you know, the, the heat and the bayous and the swamps and the, um, you know, to the, to the people, you know, good and bad. You, you have, uh, um, not that it's not everywhere cause it certainly is, but you know, you have the dark history, the racism, the, uh, it lends itself to the horror and thriller genres. Um, and I just, uh, I love that, that tone, that feel, even if I don't always write it, it's, it's always going to be a part of me. I say Cosby is one of my most recent favorites from a, from a Southerner who writes, uh, Blacktop Wasteland. And then yeah, Brent tells me it's so good. Razor, Razor Blade Tears, uh, haven't read that yet, but Brennan tells me good things. All right. So James, um, I kind of want to reel back to when you started writing when I actually don't know, when did you start to write? Was it the nineties? And if so, um, did you tackle magazines or what was your approach? How, how did you, uh, kind of fall into the published life? I, uh, started writing somewhat seriously in the mid to late nineties, never with any like major desire to do it seriously. Um, just sort of honing my chops and tinkering around with it. Um, I've, I've always written, but just as far as really starting to hunker and hunker down and be like, maybe I want to submit some stuff. Um, then in, I guess it was 2000, maybe 99, somewhere along in there was my first semi-professional sale uh, to a now defunct publisher uh, called Dark Tales Publications. I sold a chapbook called Holy Rollers. And just a couple of small press, little uh, zines here and there over the next few years until uh, Midnight Rain in 2004. So I, I usually say that I really only got serious about it. We'll just call it an even year 2000 hmm. is about when it happened. And never look back. All right. So, so James, um, from Midnight Rain, you know, all the way to the newest one, Ride or Die, um, and, you know, I'm including in the scrape here, uh, coming coming of age is a big, you know, subject. We've already mentioned it several times tonight. So, uh, you know, and, and I'd love to hear if, if Chad has anything to kind of add or question here. But I want to know what attracts you to that particular facet, because it's not even necessarily a subgenre, but definitely a facet that can be incorporated into horror and thrillers in the case of Midnight Rain. Yeah, um, I actually anticipated this question, and I'm still going to um and ah and stumble through it, probably. <laughs> um, tried not to sound rehearsed, and it backfired. Um, no, nah, uh, I've always loved reading Coming of Age. You know, uh, Boy's Life, we've mentioned that several times, is my favorite novel of all time in any genre. Um, it... Uh, Ed Gorman wrote several that I love. Cage of Night. If you haven't read that, you have to read Cage of Night by Ed Gorman. Uh, Black River Falls is another one that Ed Gorman wrote. Um, there's something about the coming of age genre that just that works for horror. And I think it's because 
you know, we've heard it said time and time again that the best horror works whenever readers can relate to the characters, love or hate them. The characters should be interesting and you should be able to relate to them. Um, they should be real people. And uh, it's as simple as we've all been kids. We've all had those adventures on the on the bicycles that we love, like you mentioned, you know, Brennan with Midnight Rain. And um, we've all, well, not all of us, but some of us, I can certainly relate, have had our fair share of, of having to deal with bullies. Um, so you inject all of that stuff in, into a story that people can relate to and people have lived and people know what it's like to be a kid when the world seems so much larger. And sometimes in the, in the books that I like to read and write, the people that are supposed to protect you don't always. You know, the grown-ups are sometimes the scary ones. That just lends itself to our genre, don't you think? And uh, I just, I love, I love writing kids. Um, maybe because I'm a big kid at heart, but a lot of it, you know, is nostalgia. We can go back and and revisit the video games we like we love to play the music we love to listen to and just you 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 place your reader in a story that they can relate to and remember fondly or even not so fondly it's simply real then you've got you're, you're already off to the races when you inject something you know otherworldly in your story be it coming of age or not, just life. You grew up on rock and roll, man. That's pretty obvious from the few books of yours that I've read. And I love it. When I saw Led Zeppelin references, it, I mean, the world needs more of that. Uh, that's my favorite band ever. Um, so I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Let's talk about uh, your recent book, Ride or Die. What is the synopsis of that? All right, so uh, Ride or Die is about um, a 15-year-old girl named Amelia Fletcher. And Amelia is a good girl. You know, she's never really been in trouble. She's uh, not really a daddy's girl, but she's, she's a good girl. Um, she makes good grades. She, she's in the school chorus. And then one night she discovers that her dad has been cheating on her mom. So... Um, not to just repeat the the back cover synopsis, but for just one night, Amelia decides that she would like to know what it feels like to be a bad girl. So uh, she happens to know where the other woman lives. Um, so her and her two friends, Cassie and Fallen, uh, decide to go out for a little mischief. And uh, you know how horror stories start. No one's no one was meant to get hurt. But uh, it starts off with just, you know, a couple of rocks thrown, a couple of bricks, some broken glass, uh, spray painted vulgarities, uh, toilet paper, basically just uh, let's let's scare this this bitch away and, and make her, you know, leave my dad alone. Um, but it turns out that this was no ordinary affair. I uh, definitely don't want to get into spoiler territory. I've been very careful about that. But what they find when they get to the other woman's house is definitely not what they expected. And things, it starts off as sort of a coming of age story, just kind of fun with the, the mischief and the vandalism. And then um, this is one of those books that I like to think 
I don't want to say it's different from anything else I've ri- ever written, but I've had one reviewer call it this, and I, I kind of dig this. I think they were right. It starts off almost feeling like a YA story, and then quickly goes to where uh, turns into anything, but it yeah, gets extremely sure. dark and extremely twisted. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Really, really proud of really proud of this one. I, I had a blast writing it, and I, I hope readers have a blast reading. One of the most fun things I've ever written. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Chad, go ahead. You, you can go in first, man, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I read it. Uh, at the beginning of this year or the end of last year, I can't remember. Um, and uh, it, it's great. And, yeah, James said it perfectly, or the reviewer did. It It does feel like, like a, uh, like a you know, girls kind of YA coming of age thing, kind of like uh, Grady Hendrix's uh the uh, best friend's exorcism and then yeah it just flip-flops and i don't want to see why but i don't even want to i had a movie comparison but if i say that then that will give everything away but um yeah i thought it was great and and uh it, it definitely you know you get so far in it definitely surprised me it definitely it, it turned dark yeah yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure I know. I'm pretty sure I know exactly the movie you're talking about. Does it start with H? Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. You'll have to sh- you'll have to share with me later. Uh, okay, I will. <laughs> but I, I feel terrible, you guys, because uh, yeah, Chad actually blurbed it for me, and it was a killer blurb, and somehow just complete oversight on my part, I like missed it when I was turning into blurbs to the publisher and it didn't make it in or on the book. So I hope you know that that was just, that was completely an accident, Chad, cause I appreciate oh, it. It happens, man. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you letting me uh, check it out. When there were things that turned YA to not YA, uh, I'm walking a tight line here. I know, but that uh, I'm pretty sure I had to like, stop reading it for a moment put it down and be like holy shit <laughs> it just kept getting worse in such a beautiful way uh brennan yeah. can you say anything about this without spoiling it I, I don't know that i can go plot wise without spoiling it but what i you know i i can't, i seem to be stuck on pacing tonight because um i i think i got about 30 percent into the book and um you know, for the most part, with a couple breakups with like um, uh, text messages, uh, it's mostly done in, you know, chapter breaks as opposed to individual chapters. Uh, and then from about, uh, I'm guessing here, about 30% into the book till about 95%, there are no chapter breaks. Uh, so I sat down to read a little bit before bed one night and it midnight rained me. Um, I was up till like, you know, 1230 or one, because what well, you, you hit a point where it's like, not only is there no good place to stop, uh, except in the middle of the damn page, but I, I can't put it down now. Um, and so, I mean, if, if there's a question in there, I, I wonder, because uh, this definitely, I feel like ties to my own writing. How considerate are you of pacing when you're putting together a story? Do you end up going back to make things leaner and meaner, or is that just what kind of comes out at the time? Oh, that's a great question. So um, what's funny is, 
pacing was one of the things that I used to worry a lot about early on. Like, am I nailing this? Is this, am I pulling this off? And from the beginning, I think what gave me the confidence to keep going is some of my earliest reviews mentioned that I had, I, I had mastered pacing pretty well. And, you know, when you hear that early on, it's like, well, I guess I'm doing something right. Um, I do tight, tend to tighten it up. Um, I would say that usually, let's say I, re- I write a, a, a 40,000 word short novel. Um, believe it or not, it probably loses as much as twelve to 15,000 words in the final edit. Just because I, I trim, you know, the old saying, kill your darlings. I trim mercilessly because I want it tight. I want it to just, you know, rock and roll. And um, it's funny that you mentioned the, uh, where the chapter break stopped because that was not intentional. And I realized that myself on one of the final, uh, you know, edits. And I was like, okay, if, if this doesn't happen intentionally and your muse or whatever it is has taken over and caused that to happen, then you were doing something right. Because it that hit me too. I was like, boy, the chapter breaks just disappeared. Keep that. Because that the story meant to be this way. Um, so it's it, it's cool to hear you mention that that worked. Well, and at a guess, that's, you know, I, I had the Kindle version, so I don't know. But at a guess, that's probably about 60 pages that's doing that. Um, and if if I were to go through it again, knowing full well there's no chapter breaks coming up, I, I just feel like I wouldn't be able to find a place where one would feel appropriate. Um, it's it's almost like this uh, downward spiral. I can't think of a better way to put it. It's, you know, it. we're chugging along. You know, we've talked about how this story begins as one thing and then it transcends to something else. Um, so at that point, it's, you know, we just completely start you know, circle circling the drain at a rapid pace and, <laughs> you know, awesome, uh, launching towards that... In, not inevitable, but that conclusion. Um, Thank you so much. It, it, yeah, no, no problem. It's, it's. I don't want to say it's art because that sounds so like uh, elitist, but it's, it, it's almost like um, you know, uh, House of Leaves is a terrible um, is a terrible comparison because I can't stand that book. But it's, it's almost using formatting to your advantage to tell the story to a degree. Um, and, and again, you're saying that's not a consideration that happened naturally, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, that's, I think that's really cool. So, uh, easy follow-up question. Uh, is there a reason that Cassie McKinley has that surname? You know what? <laughs> I had no idea that I had done that until Ken mentioned it. And I am absolutely not lying because you'll notice that I use friends and peers names sort of as little tributes like one of my biggest supporters I, I've joked around with him before that if I ever ended up on a on a hobbled on a bed in a snowstorm it would be Steve Thompson because he's like my my biggest reader and fan um, almost to the point of being scary um, <laughs> His name will often appear in my books. Oh, God. At the end, there's there's uh, one of the articles. He he gets a mention. So uh, go back and check that out. 
if you want. Um, but uh, I, I feel like I've, uh, where the hell was I going with that? <laughs> what was the question? Oh, it was just, did you, did you uh, name Cassie McKinley on purpose? But oh, yeah, no, I, so I, I see no. that. Yeah, I totally um, did not. And when he mentioned it, I'm like, um, shit, I, that was purely subconscious. I don't know. And I've already got, I don't want to give anything away, but you guys know the piece. If I say the piece of art that I'm talking about at the end, I was like, I can't change it now because I've commissioned that piece of art. So, um, it had to stay, but you know, why change it? I mean, it's the publisher's name, but you know, whatever. <laughs> He'll love it. Um, but, I might be misremembering too, but points. <laughs> I think, um, in midnight rain, don't they at some point go to a drive-in called the orbit? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, actually, sounds like actually, it was on purpose. It, it was the, the Lansdale drive-in, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. That was it. Yeah. 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 So that that's why you're making the connection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I so, did want to say something. I did want to say something. You, you mentioned pacing. And earlier, Patrick had mentioned being a rock and roll fan. Hmm. I do tend to sort of like, when I write, I go for sort of a rock and roll, like, rhythm, you know? So you mentioned Led Zeppelin. It would be all too easy to mention Stairway to Heaven because it's <laughs> the most popular song. But I use that because... There, there's a rock and roll rhythm that I love to to employ or utilize in my writing, and I liken it to Stairway to Heaven in that, especially with this book, I love a song that builds to a climax, and it's something so totally different from what it was at the beginning, where it was so peaceful and sweet. And it turns into this bombastic, you know, just rattling you with this epic solo. That That's kind of what I try to do with my writing. And Ride or Die is, is possibly the best example yet, where it's all fun and games. And maybe a little dark, but it's all fun and games. And joking back and forth, you know, talking about boys and penises and all that stuff, you know, that, that they're talking about at the beginning. And then it... Uh, we, we get up to the point where it's pure hell in that house. And like you said, it's, it's nonstop, you know, just chaos. And so, so I love that, that building momentum. It's what I yeah. try to do in all my stuff. And um, not that I'm trying to compare ride or die to a, to a masterpiece like stairway to heaven, but hopefully get what I'm saying in, in the way that something becomes something totally different from what it was at the beginning when you were, when you were breathing easy before the world went to hell. <laughs> now you mentioned earlier that a lot of times you might cut up to 12 or 15,000 words um, from, from something to give it that, you know, that, that tight aspect um, at a, at a guess, ride or die probably is uh, around 27, 20, 20, 28,000 words. Um, do you remember what it, what it was before it went through edits? Um, probably, probably, uh, hmm, probably somewhere around the same percentage. Like, 
I did not do the math in my head, so I'm going to sound stupid if it's not even close to the same percentage. But I would say, uh, you know, for such a short, you know, novella, it was probably three or four thousand words got cut. Mm. And they were nothing that would ever need to go back in in a director's cut. You know, they were they deserved to be cut and tightened up. Um, you know, if they didn't, I wouldn't have cut. Them. It just it, it made the momentum flow. Yeah, that's, that's 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 one thing I, I discovered real quickly uh, doing doing my edits was uh, I, I lost about fifteen hundred words and I didn't miss a single damn one of them um, and it's yeah. you know it it ends up being a lot better for that Chad I keep saying this but I I'd love to hear you weigh in on this well because it definitely uh, applies to the pale white um, so James um, the the other two novels we mentioned or novellas books that we mentioned as coming of age. Uh, have a uh, young male protagonist and uh, obviously this one even though it, it, it at least starts as coming of age you've got female protagonists so how does how does writing that differ for you oh it, it was it was tough um i wrote like the first 20 pages or so and i'm like am i totally like just blowing this because obviously, teenage girls, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned my niece. Um, actually, I'm not sure if we mentioned that we weren't recording. So you may want to cut that. But anyway, um, my, you know, teenage girls, I absolutely have, I, I don't have daughters. So writing from that point of view was so totally foreign to me. Um, I, I had no idea if I was uh, totally blowing it and wasn't even close or if maybe I had something here that could work. And um, this one was a little bit different in that I normally don't send unfinished work out to folks, but I had um, five or six uh, family members slash fans slash peers that I sent it to you know, all, all women or girls and said, um, can you read this and let me know if I'm even close or if I should scrap this now because it's obvious that it's a stupid man who doesn't know what he's talking about trying to, you know, speak from this point of view. And uh, I was told uh, the consensus was that I was 99% there. Um, overall, they were like, yeah, you... You nailed it. Might have been a couple of things, some of the slang that um, one, one or two of the ladies might have said. I've never said that to my, uh, to my friends. But then all of the others said, oh, we call each other that all the time. So, you know, I, I kind of got that, that uh, feedback early on to know whether, okay, do I continue with this same tone or do I need to reset so it was fun. It was it was a neat experiment in something that, um, you know, I'm totally not familiar with, and um, most most folks say I pulled it off. So it was definitely different. Was it uncomfortable at times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you were dealing with some sensitive subject matter, especially once things really start to go dark and twisted, because you are dealing with. 15-year-old girls, um, but uh, it was uncomfortable at times, but again, I, uh, even after that, that first 20 pages or so, I, I might still have a line or a paragraph and reach out to one of those same um, ladies and say, hey, would, uh, 
this seem insensitive or would would you say this to each other and usually they you know they would come back to me with yeah we talk even filthier than guys when they're together so go for it you know <laughs> yeah um, and i think i think you hit a point in the story where you know the, the slang and the way they address each other talk to each other the word the language they throw out is very very important at the beginning and then there's a point where um there's a, I don't want to give specifics. There's a point where it almost doesn't matter anymore. It becomes human speech. Um, and, you know, Chad, I know you said you don't really want to talk about yourself, but I, I'd be very curious to hear because your story, The Pale White, kind of starts from a point where there's no casual nature about it. So I wonder what your experience was uh, crafting dialogue in comparison with what James just shared with us. Yeah, uh, well, with James, there was there was a lot of uh, camaraderie and humor and high schoolness, whereas yeah, the pale white that was pretty much over with. No one was happy. No one was going through. Um, there was really no time for. I guess, I guess like you said, there was where they were. You jump into that kind of human dialogue, but my main concern was um, not only was I writing as a female first person, but um, one that had experienced, um, well, all three that had experienced severe sexual trauma. And so I like doubled down on the challenge of, you know, how hard is this going to be to pull off and not get, because there are some readers who, um, just just like anybody who's searching for a reason to be angry or, or whatever, there are some readers who are, who search out, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, I can tell the guy wrote this. You know, it, it makes me wonder sometimes if, if with some of these books, if there's a, if you couldn't tell who wrote it, if some of that would go away. I, I've seen I've seen Stephen Graham Jones get called out for, I'm tired of these white people writing about Indians. I've seen uh, uh, Eric LaRocco recently get bashed for, his, you know, being a cis white male that, you know, he, he's not for writing what he's writing. And so some of these people... That's kind of what the shtick is, I guess, you know. They find out that this person is a male or a female, and this girl can't write this guy, or this guy can't write these girls. But for me, I guess it was... I, I felt like it was extra sensitive, because I was... You know, I wasn't just writing a girl. I was writing, like, three damaged girls who had gone through something I could not not relate to. Um, unfortunately, I been surrounded my whole life by women who have gone through uh, some pretty severe trauma and I've seen how they all um, kind of uh, they deal, they cope with it in different ways and so that's why all three girls deal with it in different ways you know some very extreme some kind of you know and not just because they've had been in there different lengths of time and so um, no real complaints so far like we had one of those people on on Goodreads, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm. It, it was as far as like the craft of writing, it was probably the most challenging, just to try to nail that. And like I, I didn't send it to any betas, but um, actually that's not true. I did send it to my sister, and I did have I think one thing in there. She said a girl who's going through that wouldn't wouldn't say that. And I said okay. So I think she said that about a couple things, and I took one out, and I left the other thing in there. So, um, 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, challenging, man. And I, I, James had said recently that he, on, on another podcast, that he had wrote it for Ride or Dive because um, partly because there didn't, there wasn't a lot of um, female-centric uh, coming of age, and that's kind of what I did too. I was like, well, I write all this coming of age stuff now because. It started out with one book, and then it was like another, and then another, and it was like, is this just my thing now? I can't get out of this. And I never meant for it to be like that. And I thought, I really should write you know, a female one this time. And um, I, I don't know if I was driven by some kind of guilt. It, it certainly wasn't because uh, there was in, inadequate writers out there not doing it. It's just that there just isn't a lot out there. And the only ones I... I'm sure there's a bunch, but the only ones I can really think of are like Ride or Die, Pale White, um, um, Grady Hendrix's book that I mentioned earlier uh, that I always call BFF Exorcism, and so now I forget the name. My best <laughs> friend's my best friend's Exorcism, um, but yeah, I'm 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 probably just ignorant to the many that are out there, but those offhand are the ones that I can think of. Uh, you know what? I think that's unless you guys have anything else for ride or die. I uh, I would like to jump into what are you reading? So James, what are you, oh you go, sorry I interrupted. No, I just jumped too fast. Okay, James, what are you currently reading? So I always read uh, too many things at the same time. I jump all over the place. Um, I'm reading uh, the God. What's the title? The Devil of Echo Lake. I think it's Lake by Douglas Wynn. I'm reading Smithy by. It's her first novel. I can't for the life of me remember her name, but uh, it is uh, so original and and cool. Um, sorry, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, over the last couple of days, I've read um, The House on Abigail Lane by Kill and Patrick Burke, which is fantastic. And Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca. And that was a highly, highly disturbing. Loved it. <laughs> what a great um, book, right? Yes, I tore through that. You know, granted, it's only like, I don't know, not 100 pages or something. Maybe not even that much. Um, but uh, I read it in like an hour. Mm. Um, fantastic. Is Smithy, is that Amanda Desiree? That's right. Yep. I kept wanting to say Desiree something, and I couldn't remember that. Uh, I kept wanting to say that was the first name. Um, that is a cool book, you guys. Um, she took she took chances with it because it's 500 pages of the epistolary format. Um, wow. But basically what it is, I'm surprised this book's not getting more attention. Um, so there's a study that was done in the 70s um, in this book, uh, fiction, but there's a study that was done with a, um, a chimpanzee learning sign language but the the folks that are the the university folks who are doing the uh study are wanting to do more than just you know teach a chimp sign language because 
they can all learn sign language. They want to learn, can they truly learn language? Can they learn sarcasm, metaphors, you know, the true, the true how we communicate? But for whatever reason, they choose to do this in this old mansion because it's the only place that they could find to, to rent out and actually live there and raise the chimp, you know, just like you would raise a, a human toddler. And um, the chimp starts to communicate things that it, uh, almost like it's seeing things. Like whenever they want it to sign a color, it's pointing across the room and signing woman. And there are so many creepy moments like this, like, you know, obviously a haunted house story, but it gets under your skin because it's such an original story, right? Um, such a cool idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that one. It's a, it is slow. It's a slow burn. Again, 500 pages told in diary entries, journal entries, articles, but um, I find that it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on page... I'm about to hit page 400, and it certainly hasn't felt like it's been 400 pages. So it works. That's interesting. So that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chad, what are you currently reading? <clears throat> I'm reading, um, gosh, I, I'm trying to catch up on some some blurbs that, um, that I was asked to do, and I'm, I just might be able to get almost every single one that, that I was asked. Um, and, and they've all so far turned out pretty good. Um, uh, uh, I guess I don't know what it's called, man. It's by a book called it's, it's by Beverly Lee. She posted a a thing today for a book called the house of little bones. That might be what I'm reading. I'm not really sure. Uh, once I get it on my Kindle, I, I usually don't really pay attention to the, to the title. Um, and since it's not out yet and I've got no, like, um, you know, I have no cover to associate it with, um, that might be it. And I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm almost halfway through and I'm reading, uh, for cemetery dance. I'm reading a, um, a book to do a review. It's called a very nervous person's guide to horror movies. (laughs) And (laughs) I, I grabbed it. I'm part of the, like the review team and I usually don't pick up books i just don't have time and i saw that one and i was like um that sounds like it might be cool and so i'm reading that too too early in to tell if it's it's any good or not and and i just finished uh uh joe lansdale's moon lake um oh how was that yesterday, yesterday oh man it's lansdale you know it was <laughs> that's just, all you gotta I, say I, I yeah wait it's great. I, I, yeah, I'm kind of a slow reader. I didn't. I, I, I've had it for like a month. I got the hardcover. I think last month, and and uh, just finished it like on the re, on the release day. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's just it's Lansdale. It's got all the, you know, same the 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 snarky dialogue, that camaraderie with the between. It's kind of like a buddy type murder mystery, rotten, corrupt town, except for the buddies are, are a girl and a guy rather than two, you know, it's like, it's like happened Leonard without, without Leonard kind of like that. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, um, I think I'm reading something else and I cannot remember what it is. Oh, I just read, um, Eric LaRocca's, uh, 
Ah, uh, gosh, I don't know what that one's called either. It's gotten worse since we last spoke. No, I haven't read that. It's a it's a short story collection that's not out yet. Oh, oh, oh yes. yes. Hold up, I, can I can't remember. I got it on my Kindle. Um, His titles are so good, but so long. <laughs> it's it's on a, it's through Off Limits Press. Yeah, yeah. I know that much. Yeah, that's a. It's um, yeah. I feel I feel horrible. I don't know. Whenever dude puts out the the short story collection, go get that because it's it's oh, very good. Cool. It's I, I can't wait to. Uh, I actually just won in a contest the the book that everybody's raving about the Eric Larocca's um, whatever it's called. The things have gotten it's, worse since we last yeah. spoke or whatever. Oh, it's, it's killer. Just, oh yeah, I can't wait because I was pretty blown away by these short stories. Um, dude can really really write, man, and really yeah. Can, yeah. I, I I love that feeling of. Um, not feeling safe when you're reading a story. I don't like the idea that, oh, I know this dog isn't die. I know this baby's not going to die. I know this, you know, this thing isn't going to happen. It just, you know, I don't like that safety net. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I get that the, I, I, it sounds like maybe this new, the new one with all the, the controversy surrounding it is, is like that too, that they you know, you don't have that safety going in and their short story collection is like that too. You're not sure how far this is going to go. And I love that feeling. That's why I liked the new Halloween movie so much because Michael Myers kills a kid at the beginning of the movie, and that's like the first time he's ever done that. So I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> he, he, he did skip over the baby in the crib, though, but, you know, that that's good. Mm-hmm. When me and my friend saw in theaters the new Halloween movie, uh, <laughs> we were... It was me, him, and his wife, and she was like, you know, worried. And he's like, "Don't worry, the kid never dies." <laughs> the kid dies. <laughs> yeah, man, I love that stuff. I got the title for Eric's upcoming. Uh, comes out in September, I think. It's called "The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales." Okay, I think when I got the uh, the the arc or whatever, I think it was just an acronym. It was just initials for everything. Oh, okay. So I never knew, in, except for in the email, I never knew what it was called. Right. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Brandon, what are you reading, sir? Uh, real quick, I'll just say, you know, you mentioned Moon Lake, and we uh, thank you very much, Chad, for your question, for uh, for Joe, for our 100th episode. We, uh, oh, cool. we, we we did throw it at him, so you'll have to tune in to find out what he said. God mostly because I don't want to misquote him. Um, I was going <laughs> to mention that at the end, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait, um, man. I, I'm glad you guys read that. Thanks. Uh, he was a, he was a he was a really I, you know as you can I'm sure guess he was a great guest. Uh, lots of just wonderful. I, I could talk to that guy for four hours, and I don't think oh, I'm he exhaust. could talk to you for four hours. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah you got it. you got the hang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never yeah, hit the yeah. same point twice, and everything would be gold. Um, yeah, you'd be taking notes like you were in class. <laughs> when when we. Oh, never mind. Well, I'll I'll tell you guys later. But I, I for a minute there, I, I forgot we were recording. What are you, what are you reading, Brennan? <laughs> um, I it's your fault. I started it. That's such a compliment, man. It, it, you you some you know you uh, invoke Lansdale, and all of a sudden everybody gets very talkative. Um, <laughs> it's that mojo. Reading, yeah, exactly. I am reading Bad Girl in the Box by uh, Tim Curran. Uh, I think it just came out from Silver Shamrock, and the uh, the premise is that in this small town, uh, all this meat starts falling from the sky, 
It's uh, notably less silly than Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, but uh, <laughs> you, you, the people eat the meat and bad things happen. Um, and that's about where I am in it. I'm about to, bad things are starting to happen and um, I want to see what the consequences of those bad things are. So I, I would assume uh, it's eating meat from the sky, bad things are going to happen. You'd think so. I mean, I, yeah. I personally would not eat a filet mignon that fell on my porch, but no, that's just me. Patrick, how about you? So I'm reading uh, for the first time. I don't know how it took me this long, but the uh, the Books of Blood, Volume One through Three, by Clive Barker. Uh, so good, man. He's just one of my favorite authors. He, he, I can't. You can't compare him to anyone. He's just so incredible. Um, I'm really loving it. Mi- the Midnight Meat Train. It's a lot different than the film adaptation. Uh, no Bradley Cooper in it, so that was weird. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but it's it's great. I like it. And also, I am reading Peter Straub's The Throat. It's very long, but it's good. It's the uh, third for anyone that hasn't read it. It is the third book in the Blue Rose trilogy. Be prepared. They're all very big books. Um, and that's about it. Pretty soon for our other show, I'm Burying the Dead. Uh, I'm going to be reading Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby. So that'll be a first for me, too. Can't wait. Um, and uh, because it's uh, because it's June 28th when this episode is airing, let's go ahead and tell listeners that they can, uh, on July 1st, hear Unburying the Dead, where we unpack Jaws by Peter Benchley with Jonathan Jans joining us. Another guy that talks and says nothing but solid gold. <laughs> Uh, final thoughts, sir. Uh, wait, I'm skipping ahead. Man, I'm still thinking of Lansdale. I got a lot of million ideas in my head. So, real quick, listeners, if you are interested in getting some Dead Headspace merch with my mug on your coffee mug or a mask, notebook, etc., go to deadheadspace.com. Click the store tab. You can also check out, since it is still June, but it doesn't stop you from clicking it any other time of the year. We got a few articles for Pride Month. One is by the author we've been talking about for quite a bit, Eric LaRocca. His title for his article is A Horrific Pride, The Importance of Queer Representation in Horror. Uh, another great one by Bree Morgan, another author, where she writes uh, basically how Candyman uh, had a very... Uh, a queer effect on her in such a beautiful way. So stay tuned. Um, not stay tuned. Check that out at deadheadspace.com if you're interested. Now, where can people follow you, James, as well as uh, after he's done answering that, where can people follow you, Chad? Uh, I have a website that I never update, so I don't <laughs> even tell people about it. Okay. I think I updated it in 2016. So just uh, hit me. Just hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. I'm always there uh, too much, really, when I should be writing. And I will get you within a matter of minutes. Where can people follow you, Chad? Uh, You can just go to chadlutzke.com. My last name is spelled L-U-T-Z-K-E. And all this stuff is there. I think I have links to pretty much everywhere, like Instagram and Patreon page, Twitter and and Amazon links to my books. I think they're all. I think I think they're. All, I think everything's updated pretty much up there. Okay. Um, final thoughts, guys. Uh, 
Do you have any final thoughts there, James? I do not. Nothing of import to say. Fair enough, sir. How about you, Chad? It's been also a pleasure having you on, man. So yeah, I just that. wanted to say, uh, Patrick and Brennan, uh, I really appreciate you having me on, and it's a pleasure hanging out with you guys. And James, of course, man, it was great. And James, I get to hang out with you tomorrow, man. Oh yeah, man. Stuff. So. What's tomorrow? Uh, hey, Leo Cheese, gonna record an episode with James. Plug that show. Yeah, so we're gonna we're tomorrow we're gonna talk about. Uh, you know, to kind of coincide with the release of his book, stupid and dangerous things that that kids do that we did, as <laughs> as a you know, we're trying to change our format a little bit and go do the movie thing once in a while and do like topics. You know, like we just did the the having a the importance of having a supportive spouse with Mercedes M. Yardley. Tim Meyer was supposed to be on, but his his kid got real sick, and then before that, we did um, uh, can't remember the topic that we just did it was a pretty awesome one too and I'm drawing a blank because i'm think we had we've had lansdale in there and mallerman and a lot of the same people that you've had so mercedes is just such a lovely human so that, she's a sweetheart I, yeah I strong woman out. man oh yeah big time brennan do you have any final thoughts sir not as such. I, I want to thank James for uh, for your time, for coming to talk, uh, and for writing a really, really cool, you know, essentially one-sitting novella that I think people are going to breeze through and, uh, well, not breeze through, blow through and 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 have their socks knocked off. Uh, and, of course, Chad for uh, coming on and guest hosting. And, Chad, I'm hoping we can get you on uh, for a solo episode next year since you put yeah. out, you know, Yes. On average, six books a year. That we yeah. should be able to find something that uh, lines up with a release date. <laughs> yeah, lots coming up. That'd be great. My final thoughts are kind of echoing Brennan, uh, James. Thank you so much for joining us, man. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Chad, it's been really cool having you on. And you know, man, we'd like to have you on again as a guest host or you know, a guest for season three. So that'd be amazing. Just let me know whenever. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a real treat talking to you two, but getting to know you guys a little bit before we had you on. So I just want to thank you again for that. Um, listeners, next episode is episode 99 with Violet Castro, the author of books such as The uh, Queen of Cicadas, uh, Goss of Filth, two books that came out this year. And that will be in three days, followed by the 100th episode that we mentioned with Joe Lansdale. Uh, there's a few questions that are asked by listeners. One is Chad. And it's just, if you're a new writer, if you're an old writer, if you just like listening to good stories, you'll like this episode. Because Joe is, <laughs> he's a living legend. So, thank you listeners for joining us. You have many choices in podcasts. We appreciate you picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space. I love your shirt, Chad. Thank you. I got this from my buddy uh, uh, Lance Dale made it. Just name dropping Lansdale like it's no big deal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a cool dude, man. I mean, even we've talked to him enough, but I still can't believe we get to talk to Lansdale like whenever. No, not Lansdale. Lance Dale. 
Oh, I thought you said Lansdale. No. That's very close to Lansdale. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just pretend I said Lansdale. I'm going to assume it was Lansdale. It, it sounds like somebody you put in a book to, like, shout out to Lansdale. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yep. My sisters grew up or went to high school with somebody named Crystal Chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 